Hello, welcome to episode four of the Regista podcast with me, Chris Arwen, and James Jones of footballfancast.com. James has recovered from someone else's stag do, whereas I'm still hobbling around after blocking a thunder bastard from Paul Merson and hurting my little toes. Uh, over in the real world, a lot of the chat is about Loris Carius, Gareth Bale and the World Cup. But what's really interesting to us is the fact that the transfer window is now open once again. So we're going to talk today about how we might approach that magical time in any of our Football Manager 2018 saves. So James, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Chris. Very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad, apart from walking around like I'm a very old man, which, of course, I kind of am now. So uh, maybe my uh, playing day should be very much behind me. <laughs> yeah, I've just about got over my stag do. So, um, yeah, it's been, well, a, been a few days of recovery for me as well. Good stuff, good stuff. But yes, as we say, the, the transfer window is open, which is uh, always a lot of fun in the in the real world, but as, especially on Football Manager as well. And uh, you came up with the theme for today's podcast. So, so what made you want to go there? I think it's it's the bit that a lot of people love and enjoy a football manager. Football manager, don't they? They love buying and selling players. And um, I think, from my own perspective, I can't wait to get to the transfer window. In, in my own saves, purely just to mess around with my squad and probably ruin ruin all the good hard work I've, I've already done by signing someone I probably don't really need but quite like the sound of. Um, I'm sure everyone's been guilty of that in the past. But yeah, I just thought it's, it's topical and, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of talk over the next couple of months and, you know, it's what everyone loves to do, isn't it? So I buy and sell players on Football Manager. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's, it's always, everyone has so many different sort of styles of playing the game as well. And uh, everyone probably has their own sort of internal monologues around their own transfer policies as well. I mean, as, as you know, I've gone through so many spells of, of not, not paying a fee for a player in, in my time because I, I like doing, doing things on the cheap. And, and all that sort of side of it. But that doesn't mean that my, my whole transfer policy is any less sort of um, thought about than somebody who's paying 40 million quid for a, for a player because we, we, we all have to do our own sort of homework and check that that player could well be the, uh, the one that's going to make a difference. But, uh, but it's, uh, let's start off with a few sort of obvious questions for you, James. What's, what's the most you've ever spent on a player on any of the Football Manager versions? Uh... That's a good question. I mean, it's definitely over a hundred million. Oh, you've, you've got, geez, you've got, you've spent that kind of money. Let me guess, was it at Brentford? It was at Brentford. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I did it a few times at Brentford. Obviously, with the, the Chinese takeover and the unlimited pot of money, um, I was able to do that. Um, I, I can't remember who it was on. A lot of them would have been um, new gens that had come through the game. I think by the time I finished playing that save, it was about 20, the year twenty forty. So we're I mean, well in the future by then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's well over 100 million. It might even be pushing 200 million. I, I can't really remember. And can, and can you remember any particular bargains that you've done where you, where you bought a player or even got a player on a free, and it turned out to be a to be an absolutely stunning signing? Well, a couple a couple stand out. Um, one from that Brentford save, and that was a little bit earlier on in my Brentford career, it was just after we'd been taken over and had all this money. But I managed to find a free agent called Fernando. Um, he was a regen. Um, and he was he was rated at about what well, his value at the time was about twenty five million, and I managed to pick him up on a free, and that's when I realised his value, and I was just like, wow, I've got a player here. Uh, I think I was only paying him about forty grand a week as well, um, and he stayed at the club for about eight years, um, scored over hundred goals as a number ten. Um, I think it was over three three hundred four hundred appearances, and it was just it was just a ridiculously 
successful signing and I, it cost me next to nothing. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably one of my biggest bargains. And then one of my bought current born would say, which is um, Di Girolamo, my Italian winger, who I I turned into a striker in my second season. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he was a free signing in in the middle of my first season. Um, struggled to really do anything in in a national league, but I took him up to League Two, played him as a striker, and he and he started banging goals in. Um, I think he ended up top scorer of that 35 in all competitions. And then in now my third season, we're in League One and he's, he's beginning to score, score even more in, in that league as well. So um, again, another another free transfer that's, that's really paid off. So that's the thing with the, the transfer sort of side of it for me is that I just don't feel I can ever get the same thrill from a player that I paid a significant amount of money for doing well than I, than I would when I sort of find one of my freebies or one of my searching the stats type players. Who, uh, yeah. who then go on and do really well. Because I mean, and I, I, I guess I have this issue with the real world sort of transfer model as well, where so sort of like you're a Manchester United, you're, you're a Real Madrid, you just go out and you buy the obvious player. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean it's going to work and you've, you've got to do all that sort of side of it as well. But I, I, it's so much more fun to go out and find the uncut diamond, the, the sort of the, 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 the player that you don't know if it's going to be brilliant, but because he's only costing you a pittance, it, it doesn't really matter. Or not? I think um, Brent, Brentford in the real world have a have a model where they can now afford, following the success of Andre Gray, they can now afford to make something like ten mistakes at five hundred thousand pounds a pop in terms of mistakes, um, and it's worth the risk because yeah. in that they're pretty confident that they they are going to find another player that will, that they'll then be able to sell on for for significant money and stuff. So, and I love adopting that into into the football manager side of, of transfers. Is is going down very much that sort of my own mm. my own model of okay, how can I get the best for as little as possible and then make as much money when I sell them on or we win stuff and and those sort of things. So that's where I get excited with the transfer window. I don't I don't get too excited about sort of like the first transfer window being able to go out and buy all the players that um that we know are going to be superstars in sort of three or four years time. I I used to do that years ago and and I know people have a lot of fun doing that now and fair play to them. But for me, it's about it's about sort of finding somebody who nobody has thought of might have, I don't know, five for five for finishing as a striker, but you just know that because of the model I put into place, it doesn't matter that he's got five for finishing. He's still going to get me 20 goals next year. And he goes on to get you 20 goals next year. Sort of things like that is where I get excited on the, on the transfer side of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, there's nothing better than finding a gem for next to nothing and then seeing him grow into this wonderful player that you could either potentially sell for, for millions or keep at the club for forevermore and become a, a club legend. No, exactly. So, so how do you how do you approach a transfer window then? Do, do you sort of, have you got any particular processes that you go through knowing that January or the summer's coming? I tend to, I tend to start scouting for players or positions, players in positions that I know I need to strengthen um, around about a month or two months before the window opens. Um, that gives my scouts enough time to really like look at like find some some worthwhile targets or players that I should look a little bit closer at, um, and then it's, it's spending a little bit of time just sort of comparing those players that, that my scouts find. Um, but then occasionally I'm guilty of just sort of just signing players on a whim as well. But um, I, I tend to let let my scouts or my director of football do a lot of the hard work leading into the transfer window and then during the transfer window really sort of just fishing through the the net for, for the real for the real gems. 
And and what's your decision making process then? What sort of what what things do you look for? Do you sort of go well? Okay, I can ignore that because he's got this, or or what, what do you do to to narrow down a long list into the the targets? I tend to compare them to to my current crop. Um, so Kate, if you know if you've got a good enough scout, then it will tell you sort of where where that where that target ranks compared to the other players in that same position in, in the current squad. Um, and then I'll get a, a better idea of whether he's worth it or not. Um, I'm, I'll admit that I, I rarely sort of dig deeper into the, uh, like the player attributes um, or his uh, personality too much, mm. um, which is probably a really bad way of playing football manager. But um, I, tend, I, I put a lot of trust into my, into my scouts and, what they think of the player and where they think he'd fit in, whether he's better than, you know, if I'm going for a striker, if, they, if he ranks third or fourth um, compared to my other strikers, then I'd probably give, um, sort of give him a wide berth, even though his attributes might look quite good from a glance. Mm. Um, I tend to, yeah, I mean, but then if he comes in at number two, um, then I might go, do you know what? He might be worth it depending on how much he's going to cost me. Um, he might be worth it. He might improve depending on his age and stuff like that. So, um, a, a lot of trust goes into my scouts and what they say before before making. No, a that's, that's fair. I, I do something similar, but then I had several layers on top of that. I do I do listen to my scouts. I expect them to go and find me uh, some potential sort of prospects uh, on an ongoing basis, and and they're the, they're looking typically for the players who have got the potential to become to become good players. So they may not have the statistical um, data yet to back up the the potential findings. So they're they're looking for those. And then what I'm doing at sort of periodical sort of uh, parts throughout the season is I'm looking at the the, the statistics of players so far. So uh, depending on what my scouting range is or how many players I can see in the database, I'm looking at the uh, the performance data of players in the current division, in the division above, in the division below, or if I'm lucky enough to be able to look at sort of comparable divisions in um in in different countries so you know you've got that sort of ranking of the j league two is ranked 32nd league in asia i'm i'm looking then at sort of like a couple of leagues either side of that as well again if i'm able to as a bad example because that's so random that you wouldn't have comparable leagues but if i was in league one or something i'd be looking at leagues that are similar to league one see if there's any gems in there as well i'm looking at particular sort of KPIs like uh, yeah. or probably obvious ones like pass completion rate for a midfield or interceptions for a, for a defender or or for me I like shots on target per 90 minutes for, for a striker and I know there's so many other factors that can go into the reasons why a striker might get more shots on target in 90 minutes and this that and the other but I still feel that to a certain extent FM is fairly simple on the actual data side of things it's not as complex as it is in the real world so I think they can be quite quite good guides some of the some of the particular KPIs that I'm I'm looking at players for. So I'm doing that bit as well. And then when I I start to draw up my own short list of players I'm interested in, based on that, then that I then will get my scouts, my assistant manager, my director of football if I've got one, whoever, I'll get sort of wisdom of the crowds to go out and sort of get get opinions on on that on that player as well. So there's a 
there's a fair bit that's going into that side of it. And then if I can be bothered that I've got a little bit more lazy on this, uh, more re- in more sort of recent months and stuff, is that I'll then start looking back at how that player, if, if I've chosen the player that I want, for example, I'll start looking at how that player played against the top team in the division that they're playing in, against the mid-ranked team and against the lower team. Because it's no good me, if it, depending on where I want my team to go. I don't want to go and buy a striker that's just a flat-track bully, gets hat-tricks against the bottom clubs. But then when it comes up against playing a decent team, he's, he goes missing. So I, I go and have a little bit of look at how they performed in, in those particular games as well. And I tend to trust that mm. more than the actual words in the scout report. So I'm not particularly interested if he he's nervous about big games if his performance data tells me that he got seven goals in two games against the top team in the league or if he's um if he's the the report says he's very injury prone well, i go back over his injury data and he's not yeah. had a major injury or a niggly injury for two years well, i'm thinking okay well, i think that's that's a fairly safe risk so i sort of I, I do try and look into that a little bit when it comes round to uh, the, the transfer window. But I guess that also comes down to time because I'm also as guilty as, as anyone of going, yeah, he looks all right, I'll have him. So so there's a bit, of, a bit of gut feeling that goes into it as well. I mean, have, have, you ever, have you ever come up against a player that's maybe performed really well against you in one or two games and gone, right, I'm going to try and sign him? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I think um, at the end of each season, also one of the things I'll do is I'll just see if there's any particular way I can hoover up the players that have done well in the league that season. Um, a bit, I suppose a bit like Newcastle did, really, that when they dropped back into the championship a couple of years ago, they just went and bought all the best championship sort of level players they, they could find. Uh, but yeah, without a doubt, that sometimes mid-game, if, uh, if this guy's looking particularly tasty against me, I'll, I'll try and get... I'd certainly add him to the shortlist mid-game, or um, or try and get a scout report sort of lined up whilst whilst the game's still yeah. going on. Because I, I, I think that's what happens in the real world as well, isn't it? Ronaldo went to, I think he was probably on Man United's radar already. I'm sure years and years and years ago. But it was a game where a friendly between Sporting Lisbon and um and uh, and United, where where Ronaldo just tore Gary Neville in a new one repeatedly for 45 minutes, and Neville said to Ferguson at halftime, "I think we should buy him, boss." There's, you do. You, 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 when you see a player that does really well against you, do you know you've got a decent team yourself? Then, of course, you're going to be interested. Yeah, I do that quite a lot. Well, you probably have quite a few players playing quite well against you, don't you, James? <laughs> yeah, this season we do, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? Well, we'll, 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 go, we'll go on to that in a, in, in a bit more de- detail later. What are you like? Though? Okay, so also, I guess, part of the transfer window isn't just that the money you might spend on the player in terms of buying him. You've got, you've got all these other sort of factors that come into it, like the agent's fees or the um, or the actual the fee, the, the signing on fee for the player himself, but even then down to how much you're going to pay them in terms of wages. How disciplined are you around that kind of stuff? I'm the worst when it comes to contract negotiations. Um, I've only just got around, I've got myself into the habit of removing all the clauses that, they, that the agent sort of puts in yeah. there. Um, but then I rarely look at the like agent fees or signing on fees or anything like that, um, and that's normally cost me quite a lot in the end because I end up then, then my transfer with my transfer budget goes yeah. down a lot. Going shit, where did all that money go? And then I realised that I've agreed to pay an agent eight million or something crazy like that. Um, so yeah, I mean it's, it's something that I should probably look into a little bit more, but. I always try and keep wages down to a yeah. realistic level. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I rarely look at signing on fees or agent fees or anything like that. 
I probably won't surprise you to know that I, I, that I, I am quite strict when it comes to that. And I've probably lost out on some really, really good players over the years just because I'm so stubborn when it when it comes to that sort of side of it. I hate giving agents a massive amount of money. I hate giving a player a massive amount of money because I have the attitude of, well, you should want to come and play for me anyway. Um, and even when it comes to that, I've, I've lost really good players because I over a made-up figure on a computer game of about 250 quid a week. Um, or worse, because he wants a substitute fee and uh, and I won't give him one. And you sort of think, maybe I'm yeah. taking this a little bit too seriously. When uh, when you've lost the guy who then goes and scores 30 goals for someone else that season. Yeah, but just on that note, those those um, substitute fees are ridiculous. Why would you Why would you pay someone just to sit on the bench on top of their week? Exactly, and it's, it's paying somebody for for not being good enough to get into your first eleven, which I just uh, I just inherently don't agree with. I've also I've also stopped. Um, stopped uh, paying out goal bonuses as well in any way, shape or form, which which is weird. I remember years and years and years ago, I did my level two coaching course. Um, uh, so it was down at the Portsmouth um, Navy or whatever. And we had a guy there on the course with us who was um, Salisbury's uh, assistant manager at the time. And we had this half an hour sort of discussion about why they don't pay goal bonus fees. And his whole sort of um, ethos around it was that it makes their strikers more greedy and they often would, and they noticed that they were taking sort of, sort of taking shots on goal where they could have played it to someone else who was in a better position. And it wasn't just because of the fact that the strikers are inherently quite greedy and quite, quite sort of um, motivated to score the goals because they wanted to get the extra 50 quid, 100 quid, whatever it was. Um, so they cut it. And then they actually realised that their, um, their, their goal conversion or their chance conversion was better because the, the players were then giving the ball to, to someone else rather than taking the chance on themselves. And it turned out that their main striker at the time was a guy called Matt Tubbs, who wasn't too well known at the time, but then went from non-league to have a reasonable lower level sort of football career in, in League One and League Two. I think he ended up playing for Portsmouth and stuff. And he was the main striker there. So they had yeah. a decent striker as well. So they, they weren't just sort of uh, doing this on, on a whim. Uh, it, just stuck, it always stuck with me. And since that moment, and uh, when I would then start playing cha- sort of championship manager and football manager again, I just thought, okay, well, you're not, nobody's, getting a, nobody's getting extra money for doing what I've bought you to do, which is stick the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm, I, I tend to give those clauses to like, like youth players when they get their first pro contract. Right. Okay, that's interesting. But only because, particularly with a player that I know isn't going to play in the first team, or isn't getting a great deal of great deal of game time because he's still quite young for like the reserves or something or the under eighteens. I might like, normally they're about thirty quid. Yeah. For a goal bonus and it's like, well, you know, if if you score, you know, if you come off the bench for me and score a goal, it's not gonna cost me a lot of money. Um but when it gets to first team stars and that I try and try and limit those and try and get rid of them in the, in the negotiations quite early on. Um but I'm I, just to say just as just like you, I've I've probably lost out on quite a few good players as a result of that. Just, I, I can't do it another way. I mean, even on the odd occasion where I've had a, a bigger club and I've had almost unlimited funds to spend, I just I just can't change. I, it's just, it's ingrained in me that uh, I want to run the tightest, cheapest ship going uh, for the football club because uh, you never know when you have a bad spell and you won't have the Champions League money or, or something. It's, all, it's all, all about balancing the books for me throughout, especially uh, during the transfer window. But, uh, have you got have you got any other weird and wonderful things that you do around transfers? Uh, not on the top of my head. I mean, as, I, as I've already said, um, I can be a bit um, scattergun 
in my in, in my transfer activities, particularly if uh, particularly when I'm a when I'm at a club like Boreham Wood, for for example, where there's literally no money in the pot, um, and you have to use the the free the free transfer list quite wisely. I tend to just have a bit of a scattergun approach and go right. Okay, well, he, he's better than my current player. I'll bring him in. Oh, he, he's also better than my, my better than my wing. I'll bring him in. Before now, I bought, I bought in eight or nine players, and shit, I need to get rid of a few now. Um, you could have no, no team cohesion there, Jamesy. No team cohesion. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's worked to an extent at Boreham but I, I am quite, I am quite guilty of that. I get a little bit carried away. I mean, I do all this preparation, as I, as I said earlier. Um, get scouts out early, a couple of months before the window, and then I might make one or two sort of really clever, well thought out signings. But sometimes I do go a little bit crazy. But that's the fun of it, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've, I've found my most successful sort of windows is where is is actually often where I don't sign anyone at all, or it's only one, maybe two players. Uh, I think because there's uh, t- the team cohesion sort of side of it is 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 really important even when you're going up the leagues actually I still get I still get that buzz about seeing somebody who I signed three divisions ago still then competing and performing in a in a higher performing team so if you, I, I like to keep my core and then just maybe buy it or bring in a couple of players around that around that sort of solid core but uh, we're about to move on to question of the week but I'm going to throw we've already asked you what what you some of your best signings have been can you have you got any particular stinker of a signing that you've made which uh, which will always haunt you Oh, good question. Um, I did sign, actually, it reminds me, I signed, when I, before I took over at Brentford last year, I was at West Ham, as you know, um, and I signed um, Milik. Do you know the, is he the, the, the Poland striker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lazio, I think, maybe Napoli. God, I should know that. I should really know that. He's, he's, he's somewhere, in, somewhere in Italy at the minute. Yeah, Napoli, yeah. Yeah, and I, I paid about 25 million for him. Right. And I soon realised that I'd already had a few better strikers at, at, at the football club. Um, and he, I think he, he made like 10 appearances and scored only one goal. And I ended up selling him for about five million quid for like six months later because I just needed to get rid of him because he was on quite high wages. Um, that, that's, that's one of the biggest regrets that I can that I can think of in recent football manager games. And you, and you did that at West Ham. I did that at West Ham, and then it wasn't long before I was at Brentford in amateur four to make those mistakes. Yeah. But because it's not like West Ham really to go and spank twenty five million quid on a player that they think is going to be really really good, only to realise that they can get rid of him for five million a, a year later. Really, is it? That's true. I mean, what was weird about it is that it was actually a striker that they bought, and not someone that they don't really need. But it still didn't work out. So, yeah. Uh, I, I tend to like sort of put those put those bad signings, memories of those bad signings, in the back of my head. I try, I try and forget them as quickly as possible. Well, that's kind of what I think. That's where I get lucky because typically when I'm bringing players in for free, it doesn't matter if they work out or not. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. I've, I've not really cost the club any great any great money. But the one that I remember that was my my biggest stinker was it was in Wolves on FM15. And I went for this Brazilian guy called Tales, T-H-A-L-L-E-S, I think his name was. And he was, I mean, he was guaranteed brilliant signing. Everyone was telling me that all the scouts telling me, sign him, sign him, sign him, sign him. He'd scored, shed loads of goals in South America. He was going to be, he was going to be it. 
he was absolute bobbins for Wolves. And bearing in mind, it wasn't just like we, we were a team that weren't scoring goals. Every other striker was scoring goals. And if they weren't scoring goals, they were setting up other players and averaging sort of seven and a half as, a, as their average rating. This guy was absolutely terrible. And I couldn't get rid of him either. So he was with us for about three years. But I'll also never forget that at one point I had no other option but to pick him because I had no one else that I could play. And he must have been about ninth choice by this point. And he only scored the bloody winning goal in a League Cup final. And it was, I think it might have even been the only goal he scored for the club in three years. It was the winner at Wembley in the League Cup final. So even even the worst signing can be a cult hero if uh, if it works out well enough. Fair play. Yeah, but I'll, I'll never forget him. My best signing ever was uh, was actually when I was Johnny Cooper at Mansfield on, on, on Championship Manager. And it was the great Inissimo Sanchez, who was a, it was a freebie on Championship Manager 99-2000 didn't cost me a penny and was the finest player that I've ever, ever owned on any of the versions of, uh, of Championship Manager or Football Manager. What, why is that? Just but he was so bloody good. I mean, you, uh, you, he would, he would pick the ball, and this is back in the old days of only text commentary. He just created such a great story. He would pick the ball up from the goalkeeper, dribble past seven players, and, and curl it into the top corner. In the in the in the days of text commentary, every time you saw his name flash up, you were on the edge of your seat because you thought something amazing was about to happen. So, and there's not been many games, even with it going into uh, into 3D graphics now, you don't get the same buzz. I think uh, it, I've not had a player since that every time he gets the ball or you see his name flash up, you think something might happen because invariably it did with it with this guy. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I know there's a few other people out there who played that played that version of the game who had e- sort of equally great times with uh, with this guy. So, uh, so yeah, he was uh, he's my greatest ever signing. But anyway, we should probably find out what the guys in the community have uh, have been saying about some of their best and worst signings as well. So let's chuck it over to question of the week. Question of the week. So, Jamesy, kick us off. We've got loads of good answers. Uh, well, I presume they're good answers. I've actually only copied and pasted them into the script and not read them, so they could be shocking. But uh, I'm sure, as ever, we've got some very good answers in uh, in this week's question of the week. What we got first up? Okay, so the first one is um, Jim G underscore FM. Jim says, my best signing on loan has been Marco Gruzic for my Werder Bremen team from Liverpool. Um, Gruzic, a beast in midfield, controls everything, is all over the pitch. He frequently has more than double the amount of touches as anyone else on the pitch. I can't wait to see what this kid does in real life. And I've actually had, had Gruzic on, on FM, but he seems a bit of a promising, promising player. Fair enough. If he's, a, he's, a, he's a midfielder. Liverpool just going out and buying more and more midfielders, though. So I think we'll... Uh... We'll have to wait and see if this guy does anything there. Uh, I've got one from at Kesey Rensi, uh, who's uh, good enough to do our, our, our skin over on footballmanagerdaily.com. So his best signing is uh, Gerardo Poalaki. I think I've pronounced that right, probably wrong. Bought for 5 million euros from Estudiantes in 2030. I don't think it really matters as we're just learning this guy doesn't exist anyway. He's, uh, he's played 112 matches, scored 128 goals, 38 assists and 40 man of the matches. Uh, December 33, he sold him to PSG for 55 million plus 30% from the next sale. That is a good bit of business, Casey. Very, very impressive. Uh, his worst one was uh, when his director of football signed a young defender and he released and, and Casey released him uh, for free on the very day that he came to the club because he was clearly so rubbish. <laughs> I can't remember him doing that. Um, next up, we've got uh, Dean Mannion at Dean underscore man seven. 
that he says his best is before the update uh, he signed Alexis Sanchez in January window for Liverpool as he'd sold Mane and needed a big replacement quickly um, 40 million quid seemed to snip in the end um, I would agree on that one definitely and his worst signing is Jack Wilshere never really made the grade for 29 million 29 million on Jack Wilshere wow no wonder he never made the grade Jesus Jesus, Jesus. Okay, I've got, uh, as according to FM, a uh, big fan of the show, as well as doing a very good podcast himself, uh, somewhere else. Uh, best player, Ricardo Castro. You know, Ricardo Castro from Envigado. No, I don't think any of us know who Ricardo Castro is, Mike, but, but thank you anyway. Uh, and then the worst one was Luke Castig... Oh, God. Casaignos. I don't know. Uh, Luke, we'll call him. Signed after an impressive loan spell, but failed to deliver in the, uh, the same in the following season. Ah, the dreaded buy-in a loan signing who's done very well for you. And then he's rubbish after after you bring him in permanently. That that happens quite a lot. Always the way, isn't it? Uh, next up uh, is FM Samo. Uh, his best is his can't argue with hashtag Rod. Um, just 126 goals in six seasons since signing for 81 grand. Bargain. Um, I don't know who that is. I don't know who anyone else does, but that does sound like a bit of a snip, doesn't it? Uh, you have to be following uh, Samo's, Samo's uh, Sterling save to, uh, to understand who hashtag Rog is. But, but no, he's, uh, he's, he has been an absolute bargain for him. But then most players in Scotland are a bargain because nobody will pay big money for them because they're not very good. Um, James Curran at J Curran 89 at Tammy Abraham was a clinical striker after back-to-back promotions with Coventry City eventually qualifying them for the Champions League next up Ferry Bison at Ferry Bison uh, it says worst has been Serbian centre-back Milos Jurdic signed for 40 grand for Aral and scored an own goal in his first game gave away penalties in the second game then got injured for seven, seven or eight months in his third and final Ooh, game for me Awful signing. That's Jonathan Woodgate level for for his uh, for his debut for Real Madrid. Wow! I think. Wow! That's incredible. I, actually, I know I, I, that's just reminded me of a player I also brought into Wolves on a free transfer. Gave him his debut, um, and he did something similar to what to what Robbins uh, to what Ferry Bison's has described there. And I released him on a free uh, the, straight after the final whistle. Um, he had a, something like an own goal, gave away a penalty and got sent off all in the space of coming on a sub with half an hour to go. So I, I do recall releasing him straight after the game. It cost me about 200 grand, but it, it was worth it. Um, okay, next we've got Robin Scando at Winging Wookie. Dimitri Oberlin from uh, Rebel Salzburg for 7.5 million in his Stoke save in this year's game. 21 years old and scored 19 goals and five assists in 32 games, which is good considering he only brought him in as cover. Nice, nice. Next up, we've got Darren Butler, at Darren Butler 87. Darren says, going old school, but Julius Agahoa in FM 07 purchased him simply as the man who did eight somersaults after celebrating in the 2006 World Cup. And he ended up being a 25 to 30 goal a season beast in a short-lived Liverpool save that Darren ran. That's a good sign, isn't it? That's a good sign. He was a good player as well, I seem to recall. Or was he? Was he just good at somersaults? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I might have been with Darren on this one that he was one of those players that might have got a bit of a stats boost or an attributes boost because uh, because he was quite well known for doing somersaults. But I do remember him being very, very good on, uh, on FM. Probably overly good, but anyway. Uh, we've got uh, John Dolan at Johnsters underscore Inc. Julian Ngoy from Stoke. He grabbed him on loan at Fulham. Fulham made the playoffs. He bagged 20 and assisted 10 as a striker. He was only 19, paid nothing, top stuff. 
And last up, we've got at Off The Pitch FM. Uh, this is my, my best so far has been Felix signed on a free in the first season. He was 16, so he had to wait for two years and two months for him to sign. But luckily, he didn't have a club, so I got him on a two-year trial to play in the under-19s. Ah, the old, um, the old trial routine, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, no details on how well Felix did there, but sounds like he was one for the future. Yeah, he's also 16, so probably not a real... Not a real person either, but uh, I do like the trial free, trial feature. I, ha- I have to say, you can you can you can bring in players of yeah. that age and, and 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 keep them going and train them up and stuff. So so a good skill there from Jack. So there we go. It turns out that there were some good answers in there, and we did have a couple of bad ones as well, which is nice because you always get in FM, don't you? Everyone's success stories. It's good to hear some of the rubbish happens that happens as well because because nobody's perfect. Right, James E. Five things to do in the transfer window. Then what's what's number one? Well, number one has got to be prepare, set up different views for player searches, scouting, um, shortlist, etc. Um, I've only really started doing that, set, setting up sort of players, um, different views for player searches, and to look at certain stuff. As I said before, I, I don't dig too deep into the attributes or the statistics, but if I do, if I am looking for something very specific, then I, I've started putting together sort of proper filter searches. Um, and stuff like that. But then, as I said before, I do rely on my scouts as well. So. No, I think that's fair. I love setting up the different views. And if, if FM could do one thing for us next year, please, is allow us to be able to use the same sort of saved view for player searching, scouting and shortlist, rather having to set up the same bloody thing three times in a row. Because it's just, when, when you go into the levels that some of us go into, it's really time consuming to, to keep pulling through all those different things. When t- you're actually looking at the same screen, just on three different parts of it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Anyway, but no, the, the preparation side, actually, like a lot of these things, I, I like the preparation side more about than the actual doing. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of setting up all the uh, all the views, getting the spreadsheets right and all that sort of side of it. But if you do set it up well, then you might find that player that nobody else has found and, uh, and he can do very, very well for you. Uh, number two, we've got be clear on your strategy. So going into the transfer window, what is your actual strategy for this transfer window going to be? Or is it the strategy for your club in general? Are you looking to get in young players for growth and then you can sell them on for, for a handsome profit? Or, uh, or are you looking to get finished products in? And that doesn't just mean like the Real Madrid sort of level of finished product. But if you're, I don't know, if you're a League Two club or in a lower league, you might want finished products who are experienced in that division and, and can maybe get you to promotion because they've been there, done it before. So being clear on your on your strategy is is often better than than what James and I have already mentioned about being a bit scattergun at times and just on a whim bringing a player because you think it might be the right one. I think I think on that I always I always try and have about two or three experienced players in the squad, and then after that I always look for youngsters. And if I'm short on one or two experienced players, then I will go out and look for a very experienced player to sort of you know bring up the have a little bit of experience in the dressing room and you've got them here as tutors as well, haven't you? So, Yeah, definitely. Diego Mendoza does, um, he, he uh, does a lot of uh, sort of random places in the world type saves and he's a big advocate of having a few veterans in the, in the change room. And a lot, a lot of the sort of the leagues that some of us do play in, you can get away with veterans a lot to a lot, uh, to a lot um, until they're much older. So like 35, 36, 37, 38, even sort of like pushing up to 40 in, in some cases. And you're right, I think um, a, a bit of experience in the team always, always goes a long way. And I've had, I've had sort of uh, teams that have been good team, but but then just adding in a, a more experienced player, just one sometimes changes the fortunes, um, and you can't you can't uh, do anything other than assume it's down to just having somebody a bit more experienced on the pitch. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. 
number three on the list, uh, search the stats to find good value. Um, so as we've sort of briefly touched on earlier, uh, sort of looking at individual player stats, looking at their, their pass completion rate, looking at um, shot accuracy, how much ground they've covered, if you know if that's your thing. Um, because nine times out of ten, you could probably find a little gem down there that has got all the attributes and, and all the statistics that you're looking for in order to improve a certain area of your team. But is you know it hasn't really been discovered yet, and you can probably pick them up on the cheap if, if you're digging that deep in your, in your pre- preparation. Um, and your strategy, like points one and two, has uh, have been pretty good up until that point. I, I love doing this side of it. There's, uh, there's nothing better than finding, and it's normally the strikers, I guess, who sort of like you, you remember. But there's nothing better than finding a striker who none of his attributes suggest that he's going to be any good whatsoever. But that the statistics of what he's pulled in over the last couple of seasons just point to the fact that the guy's going to score goals for you. And then you bring him in and he costs you very little. Even when the scouts sort of say, don't waste your time, but you go against them and you bring him in and he bangs them in for fun, even though he's slow, short um, and can't finish and got no composure, yet somehow just keeps scoring goal after goal after goal. They do exist in the game. You just got, you just got to use those stats to, to find them. I think a lot of that as well is just trusting your gut as well, um, and just going, you know, no, this, you know, I've got a really good feeling about this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him in regardless of what your scout said. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And typically, if you're doing it in a way that you're finding the the cheaper gem, it's not a big gamble. I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing it that way if you're paying 25 million for a striker, uh, but because you'd, you'd probably be expecting to get a little bit more pedigree. But uh, if you're if you're trying to find a competitive edge in your transfer strategy, then that can be quite a quite a good way to sort of. To, 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 to go shopping uh, number four do your homework uh, I like doing this one how they played over the last couple of seasons I've, I'm a fan of sort of like um, exporting spreadsheets of, of, uh, of player data so you can not just looking at how they did last year so you can actually track them over, over a couple of seasons how do they play against the top teams how do, they, do they play in a side that plays the same way as you I think this is one thing that you can look at in, in your transfer strategies, do, are you getting a player who's going to have to now come up a completely different way? So it might well be that he's got, uh, I don't know, a really good shot completion or he's really good interceptions, but if he's now going to go and play in a completely different tactical setup, they may not be where near those, statistics, those stats again because he's being asked to play in a way that he's comfortable. So it could be quite good looking at the, how his team plays around him as well and does that match up how you're hoping he's going to play for you. Um, also, and as I said before, I, I don't just want to buy flat track bullies. I'm not interested in players that just do really, really well against sort of poorer teams and then inflate their statistics in those games. I want to see that that he's good in in key games as well. So that's how I, that's how I tend to do my uh, my homework on a player. That's, a, that's an interesting point about seeing whether they play in the same same system as you. It's something that I I don't think I've ever actually looked out for. Um, but it's definitely it's, it's a really good point that. If you play a, a particular formation, maybe like a three-five-two, with, um, with you know attacking wing backs, then why would you know? What, but when you really like the look of this this defensive fullback, then why would you bring him in? Um, but I've been quite guilty at that and bought a player thinking, oh, he looks quite good as a as a you know a, a fullback, and then realised that he can't play a wing back or, or whatever. So it's definitely worth. It's definitely worked. It's a really good point. You can, you can flip that around as well. And and just because the guy's stats, and I'm not talking about his attributes, I'm talking about his stats, his performance data is bad. But then if you have a look at it and you drill into it a little bit more detail, you can realise that he's being asked to play in a particular team in a way that doesn't suit his style. Um, but actually his style would fit quite well into yours. So this guy has been transfer listed for being allegedly rubbish, but actually everything suggests that he could fit into your team really, really well. So you, you 
you can um, you can also find that the stats are lying to you and telling you that somebody's quite bad, but actually their situation and their circumstance isn't quite right. So so you can you can try if you do your homework and dig a bit deeper, you can you can find some other gems in the uh, on on the flip side of it as well. Uh, what we got number five. Number five is if you're struggling to come up with ideas, see who is being linked to who. Um, I suppose yeah, if you if you if you run out of options, then. Look at who your rivals are going for. So look, check out the transfer rumours and see who, who your rivals in the big clubs are after and see if you can gazump them. Yeah, I, I used to love doing that, especially back in the, sort of like the really, really early days. And sort of, uh, you sort of uh, go go through the um, go through the player list and see who's got that wanted sort of side next to them. And then if you see that a decent team's got is after them, then this player might be a half decent player. Um, especially when you're sifting through sort of like a hundred players that are worth a hundred grand or something, and you don't know which one is really likely to be the potential star. If they've been linked to them, then there's a chance that they're going to be quite good. So that could be a good way of, uh, of having a look as well. Yeah, quite regularly as well. I'll, you know, you know, when you get like the news bulletins come up or you get the headlines come through on the news the news page, um, and if it will say, you know, X X um, really interested in signing Y, and it's like, oh, he sounds good. Let me look at him. I've not heard of him before. And then you just click on his name and think, I'll oh, go ahead. I'll put a bid in for him um, without really doing the research, but knowing that. One of your rivals is in for him, or a, a club that's probably better than you have had a look at look at him and just think, well, he must be quite yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. See, that, that, um, that happens in the real world as well. It happens in the real world as well. I mean, how many times have have Chelsea waited to see who? I mean, it doesn't happen so much now, but how many times did Chelsea used to wait to see who Liverpool were going for, and then steal them off them at the at the last minute? Or how many times do, do, do United wait to see what City are doing before they do their next bit and stuff like that? So. So it happens in the real world as well. Sort of people, sort of creating their transfer policy just purely off being reactive to what other people are doing. So it's still fairly realistic. Right then. So that was the uh, that was the five things to do. Well, not not the only five things to do, of course. And there's plenty of other things you can do in and around a transfer window. But these are purely mine and James's suggestions around things that you could do around a transfer window. If your next transfer window goes really really badly, don't blame us. But if it goes really really well, give us all the credit. So, uh, all right, we'll move on to the Community Roundup. The Community Roundup. It's that time of the week where I do the Community Roundup, and this week we're going to attempt to see how fast I can get through this segment. You ready with your stopwatches? Oh, and before we start, you can follow me at LongBallFoot on Twitter. So, when you're ready. First up is FM Samo and Sterling. I know I've banged on about it, but it's the creme de la creme of FM series right now, and Samo has achieved a huge milestone in Season 9. In his own words, the save is just beginning. Occasionalfootballmanager.wordpress.com for more. Next up is at Jimmy Fraze, who is now 17 chapters deep into his Stockport save. He's taken them to the Premier League, but will they be able to stay up? Jamesfraserblog.wordpress.com to find out that one. We take our weekly jaunt to Twitch next, where we're going to talk FM Doop. He's just started a new stream save as AS Roma in Serie A. Will he be able to achieve success with them? Find out at twitch.tv forward slash FM Doop. YouTube doesn't get much coverage on here, but at Jim G underscore FM is a newest channel that's producing some interesting content. He's got a word of Bremen save that he started pre-YouTube that is going quite well, so go and have a look now at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Jim G 3555. Finally from Football Manager Daily, it's time to go on as Jornada with at Off The Pitch FM who is chronicling his Jornada, with sporting in Portugal, without the wacky owners or training ground fan assault. You can see more now over at footballmanagerdaily.com. Now that was pretty quick, wasn't it? (laughs) 
So that was the dulcet Scottish tones of Ian Smith at Longball Foot and his community roundup with all the good stuff that's going on in the football manager content creation space in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for it today, James. Oh, no, actually, no, before we, before we disappear, let's uh, tell us a little bit more about Boreham because you've alluded to the fact that you that you've gone up again um, but I think because we missed last week we haven't had a, a recent update so you've gone up and you're struggling Was that is that what I've taken? Uh, yeah to an extent we're in League One but um, which I've already written about but um, for me being away and, and whatnot the last 10 days I've not been able to give anyone an update on my website on the first half of season three which is our first first season in League One but I get the feeling we've been found out a little bit um, my very successful 4-4-2 seems to not be working at that level. Um, up, coming into Christmas, we were sitting in bottom three, um, which is alien to me at Boreham Normally, we're, we're fighting for the title or, go, or automatic spots. So. Um, but recently, I've, I've, which I'll write about in my next blog post, recently I've tweaked the 4-4-2 a little bit. Um, and after making those tweaks, we went out and thrashed Coventry 5-1. So, but then after that, we lost two games in a row. So it's 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 a work in progress still. Um, I don't think we'll go down, but it's um, it's a lot more difficult. Um, and if anything, it's become a little bit more realistic for for the readers out there. That I mean, Bournemouth in League yeah. One, flying up to League One from from National League in two seasons, probably sounds a little a little bit unrealistic. But it's getting realistic again. We're we're struggling and. Um, but I did bring back, and I've got to say this, I brought back Bruno Andrade on a free. Fantastic. Is it now? This rarely works in the real world, bringing back a hero. How's he done? Um, it hasn't really worked, mate. Um, <laughs> I brought him back. He, he, Shrewsbury let him go after he couldn't get in their, their team when, when they were in League One, and they got relegated, and they, they released him. Had you, um, had you and thought, thought this was going to be a good idea? I just couldn't. I mean, as I said in my in my previous updates, he's my Portuguese prince, and I, I couldn't pass up the chance of bringing him back. Um, but he struggles to get in the team. He scored a couple of goals off the bench, but he, he he's not a first team player anymore. He, he's lost it a little bit. So yeah, it's been a bit of a an, uh, not the best homecoming for for my Portuguese prince. But you never know. You might I might if I play him out of position like I did Di Giuliano, it might might start working. You never know. You never know. And how many people are you getting through the gate now? Are you up to 2,000 yet? Or? Well, we're getting about 1,500. Okay. Um, but our away support is still about a group of 30, 30 geezers, 30 mates. <laughs> kind of, um, we, can't, we can't attract the away support. But uh, yeah, the, the home attendances are going up. They're going slowly. Brilliant. So. Really? I mean, it's, you can understand why people wouldn't follow Boreham Wood away because why would you want to leave Boreham Wood at the weekend? It's uh, just... just it's true, so. Exactly. exactly. Well, uh, over, over in South Africa, I'm, st- I'm still in South Africa and in my second season at Bloemfontein Celtic, we, uh, we finished uh, second in the, in the division, the, the only division, the top division, in my first season and won the cup. And we're currently, we must have about 10 games to go, I reckon, and we're top of table, but it's really close between us and the Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, we are just embarking on our first continental competition. I think we're about to hit the groups. No, in fact, we have just qualified for the group stages, which is great. Uh, and we're still in the cup that we're defending, so it's uh, it's been a decent season. I reckon if we um, if we win the title and I win, uh, if we win the title and we're looking like we're going well in the continental competition, I might I might bugger off to another country that I've not managed in to keep it to keep it fresh. But I've just not had much time to to play 
too much recently, so it's been quite slow progress. Nice. So that's about it for today's podcast then, folks. Uh, James, where can they find out more about you? You can catch me and my Bournemouth antics uh, at James Jones FM on Twitter and jamesjonesfm.com for my website. What about you, Chris? Uh, My writing, all little of it at the moment, is over at footballmanagerdaily.com at ronniedogfm is the Twitter handle. And of course, if you want to follow everything to do with today's podcast, you want to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, whatever else we're we're out there on. And follow us on Twitter at the Pod. And of course, all the content for this goes through both James's website and, and uh, footballmanagerdaily.com. So we've been the Regista podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening today. And we will be back next Friday. 